This podcast is brought to you by Meow Meow Kids Nepal, your source of classic and original Nepali nursery rhymes, available now on YouTube and Spotify. Sandeep Rai Photography, for your wedding and event photography and videography needs. British and Gurkha troops are battling to split the terrorists into isolated bands. It's easier to get into Harvard University than to join the British Gurkhas. A Gurkha who single-handedly fought off an attack by more than a dozen Taliban fighters has been... When you know you're with the Gurkhas, I think there's no, there's no safer place to be, really. If you've heard of the British Gurkhas, you pretty much heard their stories all the time. What you don't hear about is their ongoing battle against discrimination by the British government. The battle for equality. When the Gurkhas fight, no one can accuse them of being second-class warriors. Their courage is equal, if better, on some occasions. They're in a class of their own, and yet they demand only parity, equity and fairness. Hello everyone, welcome to Dalbat Power, podcast about inspirational Nepali stories. I'm Andy. I am Sandy. This is a topic that's close to my heart and Sandeep's heart yep. because both of us are sons of ex-Gurkhas and there's a lot going on. You can hear the news right now and you can find out that there's a, been a lot of movement, a lot of news about the Gurkhas and we're going to explore all these things but first we're going to let our guests talk about themselves. Yep. My name is uh, Judba Adugurung and I served um, in the Queen's Gurkha Engineers. I joined in 1964 as a boy soldier. And uh, in 1968, I did my full training before I joined uh, the Queen's Gurkha Engineers in Malaya, a place called Kuluang, and then eventually in Hong Kong. So majority of my service was in Hong Kong, and intermittently I did uh, I was posted to uh, UK on various courses as well as the, there was a squadron there. So therefore, that was my period. Uh, before I retired as the Gurkha Major of the Queen's Gurkha Engineers and I also happened to be the first Gurkha Major in in UK uh, and I landed here in 1990, December 94 and I retired just as uh, the July 1997. I'm Corporal Smender Rai, RGR, QGE. I joined British Army in 1990, did my six months rector training in TDBG Malaya Lines, Hong Kong. After that, I joined QG Pelton. I retired in 2005. After retiring, I chose to remain in UK as my family children was here. And then I became British citizen that allowed me to rejoin MPGS in the British Army. So I served another seven years. I signed off in 2012. So overall, I did 22 years service in the British Army. What or who is a Gurkha? Can you explain that to us? What is what is a, being a Gurkha mean? They do say that uh, the Gurkha is derived from the uh, town of Gorkha, Prithivinara uh, and Chai and all that. Um, but of course, uh, in, uh, the the British terms as Gorkha with a G-U. And of course, in the Indian Army, it has got a G-O, Gorkha. So that's sort of, and actually G-O is actually the city of Gorkha. Okay. And and that's where it's believed, that's where it's derived from. And of course, in the days of Prithi Narayan Shah, a lot of his um, soldiers were predominantly were actually uh, Mogar clan okay. with, with some Gurungs. And uh, so therefore, he then expanded out. And that's where it all started. He must have um, those soldiers under him um, who fought for him. And uh, so they achieved a lot of things, a lot of the, the, the land, the expansion of Nepal. So that's where the Gurkha, I believe, uh, uh, was derived from. 
Okay, so just to add to that, that's a very um, insightful. Was there's there's this famous Anglo-Nepali war, and then there was this um, of the coming together and appreciation of each other from the British Army's perspective. Can you tell us about that? There was the Anglo-Nepal war mm-hmm. um, in India. There was the um, it wasn't the Indian Army; it was the East India Company. Mm-hmm. It wasn't actually um, uh, the British Army as such. Because all the traders were there, and they oh. needed protection, mm-hmm. and they, it was a private army as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, so therefore, when their interests was uh, going to be harmful, like when the expansion of Nepal mm-hmm. came into being, and of course they then ha- had to fight it out. And the Anglo-Nepal War happened in uh, 1814 to 1816, mm-hmm. um, and of course that that was um, a huge battle at Kalapani. Okay. Where it was actually uh, Captain uh, Balbadra Kumar who was in charge, wow. with only mm-hmm. about six hundred. Six hundred included children, uh, women, that, uh, and and they repulsed the forces led by uh, Major General Rolla Gillespie. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because Rolla Gillespie, in those days, the leaders used to be up in the front with the swords drawn, okay. and he was actually shot by a Gurkha marksman. Oh, wow. From the parapet of Kala, um, Kala Nalapani, mm-hmm. and uh, so therefore, but eventually, of course, um, the manpower and the weapon were uh, out, and he was outnumbered. So they then he then um, uh, slipped out from from Ka, the the towers of Nalapani, uh, and of course, the uh, after the war, the uh, what happened was the the British put up this uh, this monument where uh, one is for the all the British soldiers who died. Uh, and the other one is for those Gurkhas who, okay. who fought okay. so gallantly. And that was the start of the relationship because of the bravery of the Gurkhas. They then wanted to recruit the Gurkhas and they started that with uh, Lieutenant Frederick Young, who was actually taken prisoner. Oh, okay. And and um, and he said, would you like to fight for us? And that is believed to, uh, Frederick Young is believed to be the person who actually started the recruitment of Gurkhas. In 1857 was the Indian mutiny. And of course, the Indians uh, don't like, uh, uh, because what they're saying is, in our country, how can it be Indian mutiny? Uh, Mm. And in their history book, it's called the first rise of independence. Um, And that's what we have in my museum in uh, in Pokhara. Uh, And of course, after 1857, the the loyalty of the Gurkhas were tested. Uh, Mm. And of course, the Gurkhas uh, remained loyal. And from then onwards, the East India Company, the army uh, utilized by East India Company, then uh, actually became uh, the British. Uh, it wasn't termed as the British Army. It was the Indian Army, okay. but administered by the British government. Right. That's a very fascinating history mm-hmm. of uh, the Gurkhas for anyone who doesn't know how this whole story came about. So can you tell us briefly about uh, the Arduris, you know, the... A quite difficult Gurkha selection process. I actually started first attempt was in 1983, but I was uh, disqualified, unqualified. I would say due to underweight. I even couldn't weigh to 50 kilogram at the time. So then I turned up next year 1984. Same problem occurred. I was so lean and thin. So even eating egg, uh, bananas, and water to cheat the weight, I couldn't manage it, so I was <laughs> felled. Okay. So, so in 1989, 
Then uh, again, selection time came. Then I resigned from the school, went to the selection, and we 58 uh, candidates, I reckon, were selected for the central selection from Dharan, and we were sent by bus to uh, Biji Pokhara was the main recruiting camp at that mm -hmm, time because mm -hmm. after 89, uh, Dharan camp was going to be closed. So in Pokhara camp, we were the first best to do the artist world famous wicked doko test. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So can you, okay, this, this famous uh, doko test. Major Jude, can you tell us a bit about what this test is? The doko test is uh, primarily to test the do, uh, endurance type of test to carry a load up the steep hills just behind the uh, the Pokhara camp. Now, originally, they, uh, you had to carry it all the way up to the top and then, of course, then run down. But what then happened was uh, because coming down, they hurled themselves down and a lot of them had problems with the knees. Mm -hmm. The result of that was uh, when they did join the army, it came up to UK and a lot of them went to medical and, and they then found out the root cause of that. But of course now the doko test is only uphill. Oh, okay. you, you go to up and then you go to the top, it finishes at the top and uh, you just casually come down and you're not actually time for that. This to me sounds like a very extreme, you know, test of endurance that I don't think is the norm for a lot of army recruitments, right? Yeah. And when you say trial and error, they they went up and down and then they found out they had problems with their knees. <laughs> That's a trial and error at the state expense of the, someone's the soldier, health. yeah, someone's health. How many kgs are we talking about? I reckon 25 kilo. Yeah, wow. it, it, it is 25 kg. 25 kg. 25 okay. Kilo wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Then what happened early in the morning, uh, we carried a wing in the camp, then we went uh, carrying doko, we come down to the bank of the Kali River, where I spent my childhood making sandcastles in the 70s. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> sandcastles? There's no castles in Nepal. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then we were lined up, then starting point was the bank of the Kali River, then in your best effort, whether you run, you you walk, whichever, but within time, it has with time. So you have to go uphill, and the, on the uh, hill you, you you have a you have to have two two round mm -hmm. on uphill. Then with your best effort, come down, and finishing point was on the bank of Kali River. Lucky. So you were, you were one of the first, like uh, Major Dude said, you were one of the first that they trialed for the up and down, right? Yeah. How are your knees now? Uh, <laughs> Sometimes, uh, maybe it's an old air is now. Right? Yeah. There's, I've got some pro knee injury problems. Mm -hmm. That's not only related with, but 90% yeah. I had a bus accident as well. So, oh, okay. But wow. I was okay. F within 50 minutes, I managed to do all this test. So wow. I was accepted. So then finally we had other than uh, scrappable rugby type, it's a blood sports like Vanden used to do. We had <laughs> lots of uh, so aggressive, okay. yeah, so wow. things like, and wrestling. And finally, 17th of March, 1990, I was accepted in the British Army. That was my great letter day. So I eventually, after six attempts, I managed to be a, a Gurkha. There is now 
uh, a debate on uh, whether this toko is, is the right thing to do because what, you are now part of the British Army and if the British soldier is not tested on that, why should the Gurkhas be tested? Yeah, very But true. of course, the other yeah. side of the argument is that uh, because the competition is so intense mm-hmm. for, for the Gurkhas and it is one way of weeding out. So there's, okay. uh, there's argument on both sides yeah. and it's probably whether that will continue. And the other thing is, of course, whether... You are uh, uh, you have to carry the doko, or rather replace it with with a with an army pack, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the same weight. Mm-hmm. So rather than and and uh, there are one thought where they say that it is a bit degrading as well for Gurkhas to be doing that with doko and all that. A Gorkha, they say I've seen, I've read, is a super soldier. It's super soldier specifically because you know you said you you needed to weed out the hill boys from the city boys because they're a bit weaker or whatever softer. Um, they say that um, scientifically the blood oxygen of people who live in the hills, right? They can cope with less oxygen, which will give you more endurance. So better that's, stamina. Yeah, yeah, better stamina. Uh, to me, what I understand from this is being a Gurkha is a very big thing. It's a very rigorous process, yeah. and. You know, it's an achievement for the family as well. It's so achievement, it's, it's, yeah. yeah it, it brings pride on the family. Yeah. You know, that, that's how it traditionally was, yeah. I believe. Way back in 1947-48, because there was a war going on after the World War II, there was a huge shortage of manpower with the British, and they still had the British Empire. So they needed to go to Malaya, sort out all the problems, and of course they had the Malayan emergency for the next 12 years. A lot of these guys who did make it to Malaya suffered as a consequence because they were in the war for 12 years without really realizing that they were straight into the war after World War II. Oh, wow. So so there's all these, uh, and Gurkhas really, at the end of the day, were very, very loyal. They never knew exactly where they were going. All they wanted was to serve. Did you feel there was any discrimination at, at any point in your service? And what were the main discriminations? There, there, there was a lot of discrimination, and um, as we went along, um, especially for for anyone who is a bit educated, because in those days, of course, uh, when I joined, uh, we were frowned upon because we were a bit educated person, mm-hmm. and we questioned things yeah. which they didn't like, uh, even things like uh, the word of command, and you know, somebody said "undate each," mm-hmm. and I asked what that mean. It actually meant stand at ease. But of course, the, the, the actual, the Gurkhas, even the Gurkhas didn't know because they didn't have the English and all that. Uh, at that time, uh, we, uh, we, uh, we were taught in Roman Gurkhali. Oh, Roman okay. Gurkhali. Because that, uh, that is the English word yeah. written. Uh, and and the, so you couldn't have Nagri because otherwise the British officers couldn't understand that. Uh, and of course, the, um, um, on the other hand, uh, the Gurkhas wouldn't uh, wouldn't understand English at all in the early days, yeah. so there was a, there was a problem. And of course, um, right from the beginning, because uh, what they're saying now is because of the tripartite agreement and all that sort of thing, that we were not enumerated uh, with the with the British. But of course, uh, we argue the point where it says there that we will be treated uh, not as mercenaries, and and we will be treated as equal. Um, but unfortunately, that was never the case, and it hasn't happened for so many, so many years, until 2007. That's when the Gurkha terms of condition was changed. When did you leave the army, and what did you do after your retirement, Major Jin? 
I, I left in actually, uh, funny enough, in July 1997. Okay. Um, and over. Because the, the, uh, when I was served as a first Gurkha major for the Queen's Gurkha engineers, we, uh, the whole idea was that uh, we would not be, we would not have a company tour. So we, uh, I stayed the whole tour without my family. And, uh, but of course, in 1997, in November, uh, the Prime Minister Sarabadio by that time came along and uh, there was a lot of debate. And uh, eventually, uh, um, they, they then decided that Agarkas would be accompanied. And that started 1st of July, 1997, here in UK. Uh, and, but I, as I said, I left uh, there and then there was three things I wanted to do when I left. I wanted to um, go to Nepal and uh, uh, build a museum, Gurkha Museum which we have done, which is in now in Pokhara, doing very, very well. Um, and the other thing was, of course, I wanted to go back to my village, renovate the whole uh, house and all that, uh, which took me two years, uh, and I also did that. And, of course, I've got one more resolution, which is to write books, which I hope to do at end of this uh, next year, when I finish my what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. But, of course, after that, um, um, I was then was going to go to GRU. They had a bit of a mutiny there. So that was on hold. I went to Papua New Guinea as the operation manager for two, uh, supposedly for two years. After six months, uh, the, there was a, a war broke out, and I landed up in the middle. I, I actually didn't go, wasn't going there for war, but I was uh, uh, associated. Uh, they they thought that I was part of that because I was an exile oh, and all yeah. that. Okay. So well, I returned back after six months. Your reputation reputation precedes you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, and of course, after that, um, I suddenly got a job with the Kaduri Agricultural Aid Association oh, okay. as, as the technical director. And uh, I'm now nearly 20 years with the, I'm still serving. Uh, and I will be doing until end of this year, December, when I will finish the 800 houses for those um, uh, landslide and earthquake wow. victims. Oh, all right. wow. Yeah. wow, so you've been very busy. It looks mm-hmm. like, do you have an assistant or something? You've been doing a lot of stuff <laughs> and you've been giving uh, back to the community as well, right? So I will be 73 years of age when I retire, mm-hmm. uh, end of, end of the, uh, this year. Uh, and then I hope to d- conclude my third aspiration of writing books. Okay, oh, wow. yeah. we we it's look quite an, for- quite an adventure for you. You've yeah. got quite a bit to write. It, it, it certainly is. Yes. Yeah, we look forward to that book, reading that book, because obviously you have an encyclopedic knowledge. You have a museum. What could go wrong, right? Everything no. to look forward to. <laughs> the Gurkha Pension Scheme, or GPS, was created in 1947 and linked to the then British Indian Army rates for those with 15 years or more service. It has increased over time, but at a rate far less compared to the UK pension. The government says the scheme was designed for retirement in Nepal, where the cost of living is low. Although an integral part of the British Army since January 1948, the Brigade of Gurkhas was regarded as an overseas force until 1st July 1997, when the UK allegedly became the home base, according to the MOD UK. Is it logical to think the Gurkhas who served and fought alongside British soldiers fall outside of the mainstream British army? The Nepalese government were not part of that at all. They inserted in that that the, 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 the Indian pay and pension code will be applicable. Okay. Uh, and, and of course that was then attached 
to the Triparal Agreement, which was signed two days later, on the 9th of November, 1947. And that has been the main cause, because the British are saying, well, the Indian government will be upset about this if we were to raise the terms and condition to be similar to the British. That's where it all started. Okay, so uh, you're saying yeah. it was pegged to the Indian... Uh in the Indian Army, but yeah. Yeah. going back to this service thing, um, but of course the, the the Indian Gurkhas were allowed to serve, mm-hmm. were allowed mm-hmm. to serve. Now, if you look at the terms and conditions of Gurkhas now, they do serve more than uh, fifteen years, right. and they may not get an immediate pension, but of course their their pay uh, is um, there's a huge difference between a pay yeah. of a Gurkha what you, uh, the Gurkha used to get and what they used to get. They are similar now with the with the British soldier, so therefore uh, he can serve on uh, until he's got twenty eight, depending on that uh, particular position. If he happens to be a storeman and they require storeman, he can carry on. But if it happens to be a, a position where it's a very competitive, uh, and of course then uh, uh, they will only put in one guy and the other guy may then uh, have to be sent on pension. Why the Gurkhas were not allowed to to serve beyond 15 years when the Indian Gurkhas were allowed to do so based on the Tripadal Agreement? So that that is our question, mm-hmm. and we uh, we really question this, and that is the main issue that has plagued the Gurkhas to this day. The contention is that the Indian counterpart can go beyond that, right? Yes. And the Gurkhas, the British Gurkhas, pre nineteen ninety seven, didn't. There was a rank base. Yes. yes. So, so you know, fifteen years or uh, eighteen years, nineteen years, twenty years, and then the maximum was about thirty two years. I served for 33 years as a Gurkha major, uh, but that, you know, a, a Gurkha major is only a one. In, it's, in, it's, it's like you're, be, you're on the top, you're at the epitome, yeah, top of the yeah, crest, yeah. right? It so, only applies to some. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Very limited. Very, very. Yeah. Okay, well, so, so the progression isn't there because obviously the, there's a pyramid and you, you can only have a couple of people at the apex. What has happened was that the headquarter brigadier Gurkhas right. who are responsible as the policy matters and, and all Gurkha matters. Uh, when we're in the British Army, we should all follow the Queen's regulation, yeah. which dictates exactly what we're... But what had happened was that the, there was the brigadier Gurkhas mm-hmm. uh, and HQBG as his apex. They then produced what was known as BGSI, Brigadier's Gurkhas in Standing Instruction. Okay which in detailed um, said what Gurkhas can do and what they cannot do. That BGSI was the, was the core issue and the root cause of a lot of things that, uh, that, um, that the Gurkhas were deprived of. This was in the High Court in 2007. It was uh, deemed to be illegal. And that is why they changed the terms and condition in 2007 for the, for the Gurkhas to be equivalent to, to the British. That was the reason. They wasn't going to change it. They didn't change it on the 1st of July 1997 because they hark on all about it. We, uh, they were still on a different condition. So what we're saying, and there was another clause there which says the Gurkhas will join British Army and they will be discharged in Nepal. And, and they stuck to that. Uh, it, well before this 2004, where Gurkhas were then allowed to, those who, who retired after 1st of July 1997, they were then um, offered indefinite leave to uh, resettlement here in, in UK. Mm-hmm. 
But of course, uh, the, those who retired before then, uh, 1st of July 1990, were not, and they had to go to court. In 2009, retired Gurkhas finally won the right to live in the UK. Many Gurkha veterans now live in the UK, where their paltry Gurkha pension cannot sustain the UK cost of living, thus forcing them to live on benefits. And, uh, and uh, Joanna Lumley got involved mm -hmm. in that with the immigration minister. Right. And I just want to mention here, Joanna Lumley then was heavily involved for one particular reason. Uh, and there was the Tul Bahadapun VC yeah. right. who served with her father. Oh, and and okay. she was, you know, particularly friendly uh, uh, because of her, her father's um, relationship with the Gurkhas, and and she fought for that. And I just want to categorically put it in prospectus here that Joanna Lumley did for those who uh, for Gurkhas who retired uh, before first of July 1997, she was the main person who delivered. The, the goods and and they they um, they Gurkhas were allowed, but beyond that, I have to say very truthfully that Joanna Lumley has not been involved in any other, and um, I, I can understand her uh, constraints because of course there, there's uh, other element. Now she's actually a patron of the Gurkha Welfare Trust, and her hands are tied anyway. There's now. a conflict of interest there. Yeah. Right? And then that, that, that. So therefore, we're not condemning her at all. It is just putting right that Joanna Lumley was the instigator. She was the main person who delivered uh, for those who who, uh, who retired first uh, before first of July nineteen ninety seven for for ILRILE, and and we thank her for that. But beyond that, she hasn't. Uh, and uh, whether it's because she wants to do it or doesn't want to do it, uh, it, it is up to her personally, but she hasn't been involved in any other Gurkha uh, beyond that. Major Jud is referring to the Gurkha Welfare Trust, GWT. It is mainly funded by donors and, in part, grant and aid from MOD. In 2018, the MOD made a grant of £25 million over 10 years to the GWT, specifically to improve healthcare, including secondary care for our veterans in Nepal. Out of the 200% upliftment, only 140% has gone directly to the pensions, while the remaining 60% has been taken away into the Gurkha Welfare Trust, i.e. robbing Peter to pay Paul. This leaves many questioning the validity of the upliftment. So regarding Joanna Lumley then, it just ended with that post-1997, the immigration, um, her involvement was involved in that. Yes, uh, and I want to put it also in prospectus is that um, she, after that, she went to Nepal. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, what had happened was in Nepal, she was fated, which was the right thing to do. But unfortunately, some organizers uh, misled her. Uh, and and put her in the right direction, all that wrong direction, and she felt a bit lost. And I think at that time she then uh, was then approached by the Gurkha Welfare Trust as to be a patron. So she moved her on to sort of a what I would say was uh, the right approach for herself uh, in an unknown area. She didn't want to go in an unknown area. So I, I I would put some blames on some of our organisations who 
actually misled her, utilize her for their own purposes. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that's what happened. So to give context to people who don't even know, just tell us about the current Gurkha pension situation and the disparity issues to like, like a layman. What I mean, is the GPS and uh, the Armed Forces Pension Scheme 75? What, what is that? And let's talk about, uh, like, uh, give us examples of monetary disparities between the British and the Gurkhas. Well, what had happened was GPS is the Gurkha Pension Scheme, right. which existed mm -hmm. for a long time until the, the Armed Forces Pension Scheme 1975 uh, uh, came into force. But of course, that came into force in 1975. Mm -hmm. And it was applicable only to those who retired. They, oh, I need to put this in a right context. Yeah. Uh, for those who retired after 1st of July 1997, mm -hmm. They were what was known as GOTS, Gurkha Offer to Transfer. In 2007, GOT was offered to allow Gurkhas who served after 1st July 1997 to transfer their Gurkha pensions to the AFPS. For service after 1st July 1997, a full year-for-year -year basis was allowed. But all this service before 1st July 1997 was calculated on an actuarial basis with drastic reductions, forfeitures ranging from 64% to 77% across the ranks. Only 23 to 36% of the remaining service was counted as service credit. Unfortunately for some, a lot of time served was lost by this process. For example, a Gurkha major I know of with 33 years of loyal service to the crown has lost 26 years. Only seven years of remaining service was counted for AFPS 75. How is this action justifiable? How can you merely on the basis of actuary discount years of service to the nation and crown? And an actuary was done. So the Gurkhas were not given one-to-one -one service. Right. So I, I then want to mention particularly the this first uh, of July 1997. Uh, they are on the same terms and condition in terms of pension. They are not. They're not. But now, because for for example, I retired 1998, 97, mm -hmm. and then it was enumerated 1998. I as a Gurkha major on the Armed Forces Pension Scheme 75 get half the pension. Of an equivalent Gurkha major in the Gurkha welfare scheme. Wow. So, so how can they say that? Yeah. And there is a huge misunderstanding, and I want to uh, put it very plainly. Now, for those who joined the army from 1st of January 1948, 48, 48. to the 30th of September 1993, mm -hmm. are those who have suffered. For those who joined from 1st of October 1993 are on the same condition. Not 97, for those who joined, yeah. okay. not for those who retired. Okay. For those who retired actually are getting less depending on whether how many years you crossed into after 1997. So for example, uh, for myself, our 33 years was reduced to nine years. Oh, wow. wow. But... If you then retired in, let's say, 2010, then you had a bit more. So this whole thing about uh, actuarizing, actuary, actuarizing is 
as good as only what you feed in. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you feed in the wrong information, mm-hmm. and hastily too, uh, that's where the Gurkhas have suffered. So the this myth about all those who retired first of, um, after 1st of July 1997 is totally untrue. Totally untrue. There are people who suffered more who retired after that, and um, but who are, who are better off on the GPS. Going back to the Gurkha, uh, the pension. Uh, when I retired, I want to put prospectively. When I retired as a Gurkha major, I went home in '97, but it was enumerated first of January 19, uh, 1998. I received a pension of Nepali rupee eight thousand rupees. When a British major got over um, £1,800, of course, he was taxed. And, and uh, I have to mention that. But of course, uh, that, that was enumerating about 2 lakh, 200,000 rupees. If you put that in percentage term, that is 4%. 4% a Gurkha major was getting 4% of a similar rank of a major in, in in the British Army, wow. uh, British four percent. Yeah. Now this only came, but of course after the death of, of uh, Sergeant Balaram Rai in 1999, with Lieutenant Gareth Abbott with the same bomb, mm-hmm. the the world saw the disparity in what was known as the death gratuity. When you die in battle, the 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 death gratuity for the British officer was so huge. The gap that uh, there was an outcry. And that's where the John Speller report, the minister was assigned. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is where the, the, in 2000, they then came up with uh, uh, what was known as not pension, it was known as the uh, welfare upliftment. And that ranged from 100 to 200%. Uh, and, and, that, and after that, it, it did work. And then of course, after 2004, when Gurkhas were offered, to, to resettlement, but of course that changed. So it is a very complex subject. And when the British, especially the Gurkha uh, Brigade Association, mm-hmm. as in the petition, they mentioned, oh, Gurkhas do better in pension terms and all that. Uh, what I would like to say to them is, we would certainly like to change. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't they give us their pension and they can have our pension. Okay. Because okay, so for people who don't know that the argument, let's say the contention from the MOD and the Minister of Defense is set, well, that's what the MOD is, and the, a Parliament is that uh, the British counterpart does how many twenty-two years? Twenty-two years 20, to yeah. to receive an immediate pension. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I just want to mention that here is that if you retired um, after nineteen seventy-five, and you retired after fifteen years you would get what is known as a preserved pension mm-hmm. at age 60, 65 for the Brits. Right. Yeah. Now, what they're, ta- what they're saying, and I want to put this in light, is before then, from 1974 and before, there was no preserved pension even for the Brits. Right. Oh, okay. So what we're saying is, and this talk that we're after, is if we were not given the preserved pension then, we accept that. Mm-hmm. Right. We, because we have to be equal. Mm-hmm. But the argument is, of course, when you compare things, you not just compare the pension. You should also go back what they paid us. 
Right. Mm. They paid us 16 times less than a, a similar rank. So when, because why did they pay us less? And then now they're saying, oh, we're better off in pension terms, which we're not anyway. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when you compare things, there are two sides of the coin. Right. So you have to listen to both sides. Yeah. Okay. This uh, is no, it, this is really something interesting mm-hmm. you're saying because I I I looked at the they, they had an e petition. I I re- listened to the parliament hearings, yeah. and you know one MP said, "Oh, the Gurkhas have more than adequate pension. Fifteen years. They you know after fifteen yeah. years service you get pension, whereas the British counterpart is twenty two years. Now you're telling me you look at it granular level. You look at it yeah. at microscope. You're talking about pay levels are different, right? Yeah. You're talking about glass ceilings. You're talking about career progression, right? Yeah. You don't get that career progression. Mm. Your uh, uh, rank up, up to major in the British Gurkhas, right? There's nothing after that. You're um, you're talking." Tell us about this, the pay, the discrepancies, everything. Tell us about. Well, the, the, the actual uh, the pay uh, was that um, when you joined the, the Gurkhas, you, you got to pay what was known as suga. And suga means single unaccompanied allowance, right. Gurkha allowance. So uh, for the first four years of your service, irrespective of whether you were married or not, you didn't get a, a married allowance, so you're not accompanied anyway. You're only allowed three years of accompanied service with your family in your 15-year career. So therefore, and then you you then moved on for after four years from what is known as SUGA, single unaccompanied allowance, then to what is known as MUGA, which is the married unaccompanied Gurkha allowance. Then you move on for the three years that you were accompanied, you were then paid what was known as MAGA, Married Accompanied okay. uh, Gurkha Allowance. Uh, but when you then went on Nepal leave for the six months, which you had to do, you had no choice. You had to go. Then you only got what was known as basic pay, £10 a month oh, wow. for the six months, and you had no choice. You've got to go. You've got to go on Nepal leave, and you landed up in Nepal with £10 per month. And what do you do? In the early days... They do used to uh, go up in the hills, do the farming jobs and all that. But, of course, time changed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't do farming. And so what did they do? You know, and then you couldn't get a job for the six months. So that's as a consequence of all those rulings, Gurkha suffered as a consequence. I mean, looking at it, £10 a month, that's, uh, that, that's quite a difference. You know, yeah. I, I'm sure the British counterparts were getting paid even when they were on holidays, right? Well, well can I just mention that as well? Because... Um, the, the Gurkhas who went to uh, Sanders, the Gurkha officers, mm-hmm. now, if they applied, if they applied uh, word by word to the tripartite agreement, their pay should have been equivalent to the Indian Gurkha commission officer. True, yeah. true. And their pension should be the same as the Indian Gurkha commission officer. Yeah. But... They were given the equivalent of the British rank. They still had to come on a six months leave, and they got the full pay. So full for the pay. commission oh, wow. office, Sanders Commission Gurkha Commission office, office. Okay. yes, and and the uh, the the uh, women's uh, nursing corps. Okay. Those commission and those. So it sounds like there's always this um, two di- different rules for the same set, you know, for a set. You're there's talking no about consistency. The grid, yeah, there's basically. no consistency. Yeah. And uh, one thing that they did say in the hearing, e-petition hearing in Parliament was 
cost of, and this has always been the same conversation. Mm. They say the cost of living is lower, right? Let me tell you something. I've got some facts for you here, right? Uh, Nepal, in Nepal right now, uh, a beer, let's say a beer, right? It costs 300 to fi- 350 to 400 rupees. That's equivalent. That's a bottle of beer. That's equivalent to two pounds to two, two and a half pounds, right? Which is kind of the similar or yeah, more, it's more similar, expensive. Yeah. It's very expensive. Yeah. Um, an average house price in Kathmandu is three to six koro. We did the calculation. That's anywhere from 180,000 to 360,000 pounds. Yeah. Now you look at the average price of the UK is 275,000 pounds for a, a home. So the cost of living to me sounds very expensive in Nepal right now. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. So that conversation really, this is an antiquated kind of concept of cost of living, uh, yeah. especially that, you know, vehicle tax, 300% tax or something for cars or vehicles or whatever in Nepal. It seems like a pretty expensive country to be living in it is, it is now i just want to also put in that perspective is that if you then look at it it's not just that mm-hmm. you know if you look at the uh, the price of chicken right. here yeah. price of goat meat and you equate that to nepal is actually cheaper here what is expensive here is the vegetables going back to this cost of living for many years we were told um, initially we were told why can't we have a similar pay uh, uh, to the Brits. The, the, the answer has always been that uh, the Indian government will object. In 1997, after I retired, we wrote a letter to the Indian embassy whether they would object. They wrote back. It's also in a book the, what they wrote back. They wrote back saying, we give exactly the same what we give to the Indian soldiers. What... The British government does with the British Gurkhas is none of our business. Oh, wow. So, so when we then presented that to the British embassy in Kathmandu, they then moved on to this cost of living right. uh, thing. Now, if you, if you were so ardent about cost of living, what about the cost of living when we were together in Hong Kong yeah. and Very Malaya? Clear. So the Brits and all were living together. We should have the same cost of living. Why was there a 16-fold difference? And, and in fact, in addition to their, uh, the pay, they were also getting what is known as LOA, Local Overseas Allowance, which we never got, which now Gurkhas get when they're in, um, in Brunei or in Nepal. Exactly the same. And I also want to highlight that uh, when I was a Gurkha major, I took a major general mm-hmm. on a track. And, and we also decided to take a, a, a young uh, British sapper, mm-hmm. uh, British sapper, because just to, you know, because we were a mixed regiment. Right. And, and uh, of course, General Sam mentioned, why didn't you take me a GM Sam? Why not? And of course, in Pokhara then, when we then were told about our daily field allowance every day mm-hmm. for food, his allowance was a sapper, and there's me as a Gurkha major, his allowance was greater than a Gurkha major. Wow. I then went I then went and questioned how this was worked out. And they worked out for him in terms of he eats sausages, bacons, <laughs> and all that sort of thing. And we eat dalbat. The thing is, when you go up in the field, we all eat dalbat. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you can't get sausages up in the hills, mm-hmm. and you can't get you know bacon's and you know you probably yeah. get eggs. Right. But then I eat eggs just as they do, yeah. and uh, and I'm sure if I'm offered the same breakfast and meal, I would have it, which which is now the same. But that's how they compare things. 
uh, even the track food allowance was a huge difference. It seems like the answers they're giving are nonsensical or fictitious when you talked about the, the yeah. they're inquiring about the Indian government as yes, well. Yes, uh, I mean, uh, and it, the it, whole whole idea here is that why that's why we want this table talk. Right. So that we can tell our story and they will then listen with our government on our side of what the real story is. It has always been a one-sided thing that the MOD has been spilling out and there's never been somebody to question. And of course, this petition, uh, we did question that, um, you know, uh, I would have liked to be there, but I had to go to Nepal because we didn't know when the petition was going to uh, come for. And while I was over there, this petition came up and I certainly would have been like to be there to to answer some of those um, mm-hmm. uh, answers uh, they were giving, which was much more of a propaganda mm-hmm. and not the real, not the real whole truth. It was half truth. I mean, there was a lot of rhetoric on the e-petition. Uh, what I understood from it was there's always this, you know, the same common theme that we go is the, they always say the same. The Gurkhas are very brave, whatever. The same, all the ministers will say that. They do the respect game first. Yeah. And then they dodge the biggest question, the equity, you know, of pension, all that. All they're talking about is we're going to waive our immigration fees now because it costs a lot to get your family here. They beat around the bush. They didn't answer the biggest questions. And one one MP, in fact, said, we've done a lot for the Gurkhas. We've given, I don't know, 100,000 vaccines to Nepal. What's that got to do with Nepal and the Gurkhas? That's that's, that's non-related. Right. I I do want to get onto that because while I was in Nepal, Mm -hmm. as the Regimental Association Nepal, um, a person had requested vaccines for ex-Gurkhas. In uh, in Nepal, 25% of Gurkhas, of ex-Gurkhas, were dying due to COVID. And they, wow. all, all this was uh, on, a, on a monthly report that came out from the Gurkha Welfare Trust. So that was where the source was. And then we then made a huge use case. And even uh, some of the generals, Gurkha generals, made a case. But what they said was, oh, that is the responsibility of the Nepalese government. It is not our responsibility. Regarding uh, Nepal cost of living, there's a fallacy of this Amody's argument, reason why they told one hand Nepalese Gurkhas due to their cost of living is much cheaper in Nepal. Their current pension is uh, better. However, what about those British Gurkha officers, uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel J.P. Cross O.B. Saib, who retired in 1986 after being the last DRO in Pokhara, he is currently living with his foster Nepali parents in Pokhara, and I had an opportunity to meet and interview him in 2018. He is now living in Nepal, but he is withdrawing, drawing the same Lieutenant Colonel British Army's pension. In the criteria of abolitionist judgment, he should be lower his pension based on the Nepal cost of living. Right. Why is why is that not the case? That is my one point. And regarding leap pay, as during Nepal leap, we were given before ninety seven under the Gorkha Terms and Conditions Service called Indian Edition. We used to have allowance this in Hong Kong Hong Kong Edition, which is. Uh, better than Indian edition. Then in Brunei, if you serve Brunei edition, you get more money than Hong Kong serving. 
then if you post it to UK, UK edition, much money in UK edition. Mm -hmm. So that's why there was a lots of competition within Brigade to go for Brunei or UK. That's mm -hmm. another part of stories. And uh, what I'm trying to say that uh, during my first leap, I only took less than two months because leave pay was very low. So after two months, I applied, there was a granting for short leave at that time because they, they were undermanned, they want manpower to fill up. So I took that opportunity, just have short leave two months, went to posting to UK. But on second leave, I have got no choice. I have to take a loan, NAFI loan of 5,000 to survive next five months leave in Nepal. Wow. <laughs> so mm -hmm. under seven point something percentage, which after retire, returning back, I have to pay from my pay. I mean, you know, we've been talking all this time about equality in this day of Black Lives Matters, you know, uh, Me Too movements. Around the world, there's these conversations about equality. Even even close to home in the British government, they're looking at Windrush. Windrush. Yeah. Yes, they're talking about immigration status and everything. I look back to that case that you talked about, about Sergeant Boliram uh, Rai, right? And his uh, British counterpart. And they both, um, was it was a bomb blast, right? Yes. And that lump sum package, Sergeant Boloram Rai only got about 77% of his British counterpart. But mm -hmm. when you go into battle, the courage is not less or more, right? The courage is equal, right? When you go into there, there can't be uh, inequality in courage. This is the same. But at, at death, there are, you see this profound difference in mm. levels. I don't know what happened to the widow, or what's happened, or how she can how she's moved on from this. But that's paltry sum, and that should that's to me sounds very shameful to me. Yeah, and that's that's why we put this uh, phase there. When we uh, face equal dangers, why is there unequal mm. uh, right. enumeration? Now, going back to uh, as I said, and that is certainly the case. For example. Um, you know, our Gurkhas went to Falkland yeah. to fight. And a lot of them were injured. Some right. lost their eyes and all that. And then suddenly, they're told that uh, they're not going to get the same medical pension because this happened before 1st of July 1997. You know, how would you, you know, otherwise, why send the Gurkhas? If you, as you mentioned, if we were fighting alongside the Brits, which we are trained to do, and which we um, volunteer to do, we would like to be enumerated. Mm. It has been enumerated now, but in the past, those has to be corrected. Yeah. And and one of these Gurkha uh, government to government talk, which is going to be uh, held very soon, slightly delayed at the moment, uh, are some of these huge questions which has um, uh, impinged. Mm -hmm. On Gurkhas. Mm -hmm. right. So, as you said, for those killed, for example, someone in uh, way back, even if they want to compare, uh, compare the tripartal agreement, the Indian Army um, made this what is known as liberalized pension. What is liberalized pension? It means if you go to war or train to go to war and you die. So, what happens is if he died, for example, uh, at a 10 year point, and you were expected to serve for 15 years. For the next five years, the widow get a full pay until uh, whatever his service right. was, was due. Mm -hmm. Now, that didn't happen for Gurkhas in the British Army because in those days we were uh, tied down to the uh, tribal agreement. 
So therefore, they didn't give us that. And not until Sergeant Balaram Rai died, his wife got the liberalized pension, finally. Mm-hmm. And of course, the, uh, and of course, there was Captain Benu Prasad Limbu, who also happened to be my regiment. He died when he was training uh, to go to an operation uh, for six months. And he was enumerated. His wife was also enumerated. But what are those uh, widows, even in Hong Kong, when they were doing border duty, they had to chase illegal immigrants. While they were chasing illegal immigrants, some of them came up uh, in electric wires and they were killed. They died as a consequence. Mm -hmm. But what happened to their family? So we question that those we served, we served blindly with the loyalty and all that. We expect our superiors Mm -hmm. to look after us, especially uh, when these widows who have absolutely nothing and of course, what you remember is for a British soldier, when he dies as a consequence of war, his wife uh, have access to national health, right. schooling, mm-hmm. free schooling. For a Gurkha, there is nothing. When he goes home, there is no access to national health. So she's got to live on whatever pension, a peanut, meager pension, and that is the whole bone of contention mm-hmm. that we want the British government, and I say not the, not the Minister of Defence, the British government should address this. And hence this uh, upcoming the government, government talk, uh, which I am actually going to be the chief negotiator, um, and I want to address this, and hopefully we will resolve all this issue amicably mm-hmm. uh, uh, so that we then you know, get back, the Gurkhas get back the dignity which has been missing for so many years. I mean, it's unfortunate it uh, took someone's death in modern, you know, in modern times for all this, you know, mm-hmm. to happen. It should it, it should have been happening a lot long time. Ago, this conversation. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So, how optimistic are you about the outcome of these talks due to take place shortly? If your if your rightful demands are not met, what will, what will you do? Uh, f- uh, firstly, uh, well, we will come up against mm-hmm. a brick wall. You know, I, really? I, 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 we will get up room and uh, we will then tell our side of the story. At least we get uh, get on that table to tell our side of the story and um, with justification. Now, what we're saying is if we produce justification on why we should be enumerated and, and um, they are harking back on what they're saying is there is no such thing as irrespective pension for any colored or coalition or conservative or labor government. But of course, in 2000, what they, 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 you can repackage it, rename it. Mm-hmm. But why didn't they say, well, Gurkhas, why were Gurkhas not paid the same when they were serving? So when you argue one point, you should also argue the other side. Yeah, you know, uh, if, you were, if you were paid the same uh, pay, then of course we would not be harking on about all mm-hmm. these other things. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. So there's an imbalance, huge imbalance that needs to be addressed. And and of course this opportunity now to have this table talk, which we hope. And of course your question of if that we were not enumerated, we do have option, uh, uh, other option. We may have to go back to the hunger strike, and we may have to do all sorts of other things. Uh, and so there are um, issues have to be uh, resolved. And it's not just a pension issue. 
There is a, a lot of issue, as I mentioned, uh, you know, for those who, who died or wounded in battle. Right. Uh, not, not those who died naturally, because that's a natural death. <laughs> but of course, if they were, went to war and they died as a result, they were fighting for Britain. Yeah. And they should be enumerated as such. And to be then told, oh, it happened before 1997. Wow. You know, how would you feel? How would you feel if you went to the same battle and you were told, a Brit guy was told that you were not going to be enumerated. And I'm sure that uh, they will feel the same as we, the Gurkhas, are feeling now. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of uh, discrepancy in terms of pay, I guess, and the, the, the reward package. Yeah. Uh, there is no consistency. And, you know, it, it seems to be on an individual basis. It, it seems like it's kind of all over the place, pretty uh, disorganized to me. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Uh, well, of course, what they will now say is, no, 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 we do, we give the same. But they only gave the same from 2007. Yeah, 2007. And so they have to address people who, uh, you know, who are suffering as a consequence of the uh, the rules and regulation, which was deemed to be illegal anyway, the the, the BGSI, the Brigadier Gurkha Sending Instruction. Uh, and of course, the, that uh, instruction, there was one issue I just want to highlight, mm -hmm. was that in 1969, when I was in Kluang, what happened was that the, 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 we had the tihar, the gambling and all that. And one soldier gambled, gambled, he gambled away all the money. And of course, he was just about to go on uh, uh, home and redundancy to go for good. Right. And of course, he wanted to win back his money. So he went home. His wife wasn't there. So he collected all the gold and everything and lost all that. Wow. And as a consequence, that is an individual issue. Mm -hmm. But the BGSI made a rule that from now on, Gurkhas will put their money in uh, what was known as provident fund. Okay, now, yeah. provident fund usually is a reciprocate. You know, you put in 10%, you get 10%. Right. But this was not the case. You put in whatever. And of course, after 15 years, that money is valueless in mm. terms of the inflation and all yeah, that. Right. But we were, because of the BGSI, and, and there was a lot of discontentment. There was a lot of even strike. And Gurkhas were then told, the, the simple question was, if you object too much, we will get rid of you. That's we'll send a, you home. That sounds like a very authoritarian. Yeah, that has been the case yeah. for, for, for those. Uh, and of course, all these people, Gurkhas, know about it. Uh, you know, and a lot of them couldn't voice it. And they couldn't voice it in the sense that, that I'm voicing it now. Because, of course, uh, you know, I can speak English better and mm -hmm. all that. But it is not just me. It's the whole Gurkha community is suffering and it needs to be addressed. And, of course, if it is not addressed in, in an amicable and mutual uh, agreement, then, of course, we have to look at other options. I cannot say what option at this moment, but we have to look, look at options. Having this discussion with both of you, I've realized they take a look. Their stance is pretty colonial if you must say author, author, uh, authoritarian and they've also like you said they've preyed on people who are uneducated there are there will always be such as yourself educated people amongst the ranks and they look at this uh, na uh this relationship as we are subservient and you know we're not so educated pre you know the colonial kind of times it's also based on pretty outdated terms and conditions if you could put well, it well, that well the, the, this happened as uh, i took uh, one of my when i was a gurkha major i took a commanding officer who had never been with the gurkhas who had never been with the gurkhas and right. the first time with us british uh, yeah. uh, british uh, uh, um, the colonel yeah and after the track 
in Pokhara camp, GM Sam, this is what he said to me. I have looked around, I have gone around, and I've met all these British officers. They are still living in colonial yes. era. Mm. That's what he said to me. And, and he, was, he was a Brit, Brit type. And, uh, and one of the things he did was that um, when I was the Gurkha major, there was this element to, uh, saying that the, the Gurkha uh, major QGO was below the rank of lieutenant of the British rank. And, and uh, there was that written there. And on the Monday morning, he then said, like all good officers, you must have read that. My Gurkha major, all captain below, British officers, salute him. Wow. wow. And all majors who are junior to him salute him. Do I make myself clear? This is what he said. Wow. And, and, uh, and this is a guy who'd never been to the Gurkha, suddenly found that, you know, it told me that they were living in colonial era. Um, so that's where we were. Uh, and of course, things have changed now, uh, but things didn't change for a, a lot of people. Whatever has gone in the past has gone, but the main issue is the, the future is the pension. Right. And, and the pension and whatever is not just the pension, there are other issues. I mean, there's a lot of discrepancies, isn't there? Yeah. There's discrepancies everywhere, really, if you look at it. So... Like uh, Major Juddhabad has said, we could dig into a whole lot of things, although our main focus is uh, pension. Uh, may I, in context to relevancy with the comparing Indian Gorkhas and British Gorkhas, if you go back to Indian Gorkhas who were actually recruited under the TPA 47 between the agreement of SMG UK, dominant government of India, not full-fledged India at the time, and government of Nepal under Rana regime. So, uh, the Indian government from day one exactly equally treated between Indian Gurkhas, either from the Nepal Nepalese national or Indian national, with their counterpart, Indian national Jawans. So, mm -hmm. that's why they have got no any issue in Indian Army in terms of pay pension. So, before that, what I would like to add some more information about discrepancies, discriminations, like uh, rank glass ceiling, why only up to measure to British Gurkha? Although there are exceptions, I reckon seven uh, British Gurkhas were elevated to rank of Lieutenant Colonel. Mm, okay. uh, two Two of them were the proper standards commission officers. The first one, Lieutenant Colonel Retire uh, uh, Lal Pun MC. First, first second Gurkha rifle, sir. Yeah, yeah. And the second was elevated to rank of same Lieutenant Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bijay Kumar Rawat. And there's an interesting part. He was the first Gurkha to demonstrate Gurkha can become the best cadet, winning the Wilkins Sword of Honor in 1981. Right. That was the highlight stories all, all over the world. Even when I was in college, CV, I read in the uh, Statesman uh, Bengali newspaper daily with his picture uh, receiving the Sword of Honor. And we thought, after 1981, which has opened the door for the Gurkhas to have more, will be uh, commissioned mm -hmm. from RMS centers. But unfortunately, the door was closed until 2014. So there were no any Gurkhas being given chance to regular commission from RMS centers. Gurkhas are the only 
last colonial vestige of British era, particularly for these uh, Gora Saibs who are still living in uh, daydream with the colonial hangover, with the syndrome, yeah. with the concept of master and servant relationship. Mm -hmm. That is the bottom line problem, why Gorkha is not being fairly treated. The irony in that some, some uh, Gurkhas have uh, been ele elevated to higher ranks, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, they're mostly GCOs, right? And there's also already some there's disparity in pay in that as well, right? The, the commission officers? Yeah, the, the, there's uh, different types of commission officers. For example, the first was um, the, the Queen's Gurkha officer. Uh, and then you got a Gurkha commission officer, GCO. Right, GCO. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, and then you got a Sanders commission officer right. who went direct commission mm -hmm. my elder, My eldest brother mm -hmm. is also Sanders commission officer. Okay. Uh, so therefore, they, they, there's a different... Uh, system there and of course um, um, that's the way it has been for many many years and that was equated in some ways to um, Indian Army where you have Jamdar right. or, or Subdar Subdar Major right. and then you have a commission yeah uh, so so there is a difference there but as I said before uh, if we equate mm -hmm. they should be equated right to the Agreed. Indian commission officer mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the 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 the, the Gurkha commission officer GCO is the one in between. I, you know, he seems to be here, no there. Oh, okay. Um, so he he goes to the British officers' mess. So he shares the British officers' mess, not the Gurkha officers' mess. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the the Gurkha uh, uh, officer have their own mess. Okay. So the Gurkha commission officer goes into uh, the British officers' mess. Mm -hmm. So they they share and all that, but his pay. His pay and pension is wasn't the same. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Wasn't the same. So you know, it, um, you get that disparity, um, and then uh, you know, uh, if you think about it, if he's got the rank, why didn't he get the pay? Mm. Right. But right. obviously, he didn't. Why didn't he get the pension, which he didn't? So it was much more of a. And of course, you then had Gurkha officers who retired. Then they were uh, given honorary rank, what is known as honor rank. Right. We sort of uh, increased the pension slightly. Uh, and of course, it's all dubious. And one of the things that we want on this is we don't want this honorary rank. We don't want this major QG. We don't want this Gurkha mm -hmm. commission. Yeah. We just want a major is a major, irrespective yeah. of whatever it is. Initially, uh, there was a, uh, the Gesu uh, Gurkha. Gurkha Army uh, Ex-Servicemen Association, uh, which then came into the fore. But unfortunately, what happened were there was that uh, I came on pension and I wanted to be part of that team, um, but they frowned upon any officers joining because oh. they blamed the Gurkha officers. But of course, you can't blame the Gurkha officers who had absolute no education. They didn't know what, what right they had and that sort of thing, which we did later on but not those Gurkha officers before um, in the past. So they, they blame, and then that was where it was disjointed. Uh, and of course, they, they then um, moved on. They did, uh, some of them did uh, very good things. For example, Giesu, to their credit, uh, uh, ensured that the prisoner of war, Japanese prisoner of war, got their 10,000. Mm -hmm. They went to court, uh, and uh, they won that case. And, uh, and Gurkhas who were prisoner of war okay. in the Japanese got their money. Yes. So, you know, uh, and of course, there are one or other organization maybe uh, uh, ensured that we got the citizenship. Um, and of course, Joanna Lumley 
did that for us as well for, for those pre-1997. So um, th there have been a lot of organization, but uh, uh, we have not, the, the weak point on our side has always been that we couldn't get together on a common agenda. Mm -hmm. And of course, in 2009, uh, Gisoo then said um, that the pension issue was finished. That's what they said in 2009. Uh, and of course, then there was a fragmentation of Gesu, and eventually that was, some of the uh, joined, and then it became Satyagraha now. And of course, Satyagraha uh, has, uh, has been um, moving on to say that uh, the pension issue is not, has not been resolved, and it should be resolved. And now, finally, we, uh, through their efforts, through their work, um, uh, it has been possible for a talks which they, the British government didn't want, and neither did the, um, the Nepalese government. So we are now in that forefront. And I, uh, I certainly want to request and, and make a, a plea to all our ex-servicemen that we, we as one, represent everything. Whenever, whatever we, we discuss now and achieve is for every single Gurkha, whether they're in the far corner in Taplejung or in Jumla, doesn't really matter where they are. They will be enumerated. So it is to put the trust in, in the team that's talking. And um, so we have one, a representative from each. We have a representative from Gisu. We have one from Nesa. We have one from uh, the God side of thing. We have one from BGWS. Uh, and of course, the, the, the sixth, that number, uh, includes three of the hunger strikers. Mm -hmm. Because because of them, that the door was open, right. and it's only right that they should be part of that team. Uh, and of course, uh, the other three includes myself and the chief coordinator of that, and and uh, and then we have one from uh, one person from America, Ramadurai, and so therefore there's ten of us. Okay. So this ten is the core issue. We are going to be moved forward, and I have been designated as uh, initially with the uh, secretariat. Mm -hmm. It's not a secretary, I want to put this across. Uh -huh. A lot of people think it's secret secretary and secretariat. Yeah. You know, UN secretariat is, is a higher guy, yeah. uh, but uh, there's a misunderstanding. And of course, recently I've just been told that I am the chief negotiator. Okay. So therefore, they have to trust me. Mm -hmm. uh, I have been asked by a wide range of ex-servicemen mm -hmm. to, to speak for them. It is just that they can't tell their story mm -hmm, because right. they don't have the capability of uh, the education and all that. So I am going to tell that story mm -hmm. and we are going to be fighting for our right, which has uh, not been enumerated as such to this day. Mm -hmm. And it has to be enumerated and it, it, is, uh, it is not about rules and regulation. It is about two government. Because way back in 1947, because of these two governments, they signed an agreement that has not worked as it should be. Mm -hmm. And it can be only be corrected by the two governments. And I'm sure that uh, the British government will, uh, will understand this and, and understand the gravity of this mm -hmm. whole situation. Uh, and of course, our government will stand behind us and support us to reach a, 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 a conclusion. Thank you. Well, thank yeah. you both for thank your you. time. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. And uh, it was great talking to both Major Jud and uh, Corporal Sumindra about the um, about the whole gra- the, the, the challenges the Gurkhas are facing and uh, getting an understanding of that. And to look further beyond this, you can get you can look into. Um, you can well major do this is going to come out with a book so obviously that you can get yeah, into that yeah. there's also a museum if you're in Pokhara and um yeah well this conversation will be ongoing but um we hope the outcome is favorable and is equitable uh, yeah. it's 2022 right and if, hopefully it'll enlighten you as much as it yeah. has enlightened us and then we'll, we'll leave links in the description and yeah. just follow us on our social platforms uh, you'll be able to follow the whole situation and the progress Yeah, thank you for your time, Beth. Yeah, yeah th- thank you for thank giving you. us the opportunity to air our view. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. you very much.